When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up on this episode, Reese ruled out how hamstrung are Chelsea without their skipper. We'll look ahead to the weekend as the Blades aim to twist the knife. We'll round up the rest of the Chelsea news with eight-year contracts looking like a thing of the past. And we'll do a quiz available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. And we have got plenty to talk about today in the world of Chelsea Football Club. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm going to do that in the company of two of The Athletic's blues experts. Liam Toomey's back with us. Hi, Liam. Hi, Matt. I'm not at the game this weekend. I'm I'm managing a knee problem. (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, let's say that you're going to be out for a couple of weeks and then actually it'll turn out to be six months or so. But we can keep updating listeners on your progress through a series of increasingly vague statements on the Athletic website. Uh, Luke Bosch is back with us too. Luke, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, Matt. I am also won't be at the game on Saturday. I'll be hiding behind my sofa instead. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to be there because I am a sucker for, or, I don't know, Jaden Bogle. And I'm also hoping for a Chelsea win. We'll talk about the Sheffield United game later, but first of all, we're going to speak about the skipper. So Chelsea announced on Tuesday that Reese James is out for the foreseeable after that hamstring injury was re-aggravated at Everton. A vague statement on the website read, Captain Reese James has undergone medical assessment following Sunday's 2-0 defeat at Everton. The defender was withdrawn during the first half at Goodison Park and scan results have confirmed the hamstring injury. He'll now begin his rehabilitation programme at Cobham. Uh, Simon has a big piece on this up on The Athletic. He spoke to a former Newcastle head of sports science about the physics of a hamstring injury. There's lots of good stuff in there. Uh, a source says that Reese might be up for up to seven months. There's a, a bit in there mentioning that the change of medical department and training regimes might have played a part. Also, the brutality of the rehab routine he's going to have to go through. Uh, it's well worth a read, basically. Freddie has been in touch with us at SO Cobham Pod, the place to do so. He says, is it possible that Reese James might need to change his position for the sake of his body? Maybe central midfielder waits where there's less constant bombing up and down. Uh, something's got to change, hasn't it, Liam, for poor old Brees? Because this is sadly becoming the story of his career rather than his brilliance on the field. It's his injury record, which we're more focused on. That might be a decent shout from Freddie, potentially. But I guess we just need to see when and in what shape he can come back, first of all. Well, and one counterpoint to that was, I think one of the things that the expert Simon spoke to said was, he was talking about the example of another player and, and said that when they'd switched to fullback, they started picking up calf injuries because their their body wasn't used to them backpedaling all the time. That kind of hammered home to me that there are different physical demands on on different positions. And if you moved if you moved James into midfield full time, I mean, first of all, just on a football level, yes, he's an excellent footballer, but it is a different skill set to have that 360 vision 
receive the ball with your back to goal from the centre-backs. It's a different style of play that he would have to learn. There's a reason why Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't necessarily a full-time midfielder now either. He's sort of a situational midfielder for Liverpool. Maurice did play there for Wigan, didn't he? More often than not in that season. I know it's a different thing, but he he, he does have some experience of it. Yeah, he did. I, you know, again, I think it also varies from, you know, if you're in a team like Chelsea that is trying to play the way Pochettino wants them to play, I think there is there are very specific demands on on the midfielders that I'm not saying James couldn't do, but he would have to learn. But I thought the point that was made in that piece that was interesting is that that would be another physical variable that you're changing, uh, which might not necessarily be ideal. On a broader level, I, th- I think at this point, everything has to be on the table for Chelsea, for, for James, in terms of what they might need to change in order to find a way to get him fit. Because there, I'm sure there is a way to improve his fitness record in particular to stop getting these these hamstring injuries. I mean, one of the things that piece hammered home was just how complicated hamstrings in particular can be. I was struck by, you know, the bit where it said <laughs> you'd almost rather a broken leg than the most severe grade of hamstring injury if, if a tendon is involved as well. It's really, really difficult. And I'm sure that the amount of change that Chelsea have had in their medical department, the fact that you're getting different coaching teams in, in the space of a year, all with different ideas about how to how to manage and, and maintain players is not ideal. What Chelsea need now is, is stability on that front. They need to get everyone in the room, Pochettino and Jesus Perez, their staff, all of the really smart uh, medical people that they've hired because they have hired people that are very highly regarded in the industry. They just haven't been in post very long. And really dig into the specifics of, of James' body, his injury record, and come up with a an individualised regime that works for him. And it's really important, you know, obviously that he has to commit to that 100% as well. Because otherwise, as you say, Matt, this this does threaten to define his career and he's he's too good for that to be... Well, for for that to be anything other than a than a football tragedy, really, uh, if that if that proves to be the case, if if he can't find a way to stay on the pitch and be anything close to the player that Chelsea need him to be, it will just be a really sad football story. So, I think he's young enough, and there's enough time for everyone involved to get this right. But this needs to be the point now where there has to be a really big all-encompassing conversation and a lot of analysis done about how how best to solve these these injury problems that he faces and it and it can't be about this season you know it can't be about getting him back this season it has to be with a long view to the to the rest of his career i mean he's contracted for the rest of the decade <laughs> at chelsea pretty much so if he's going to be the club captain and be the the symbol on the pitch and everything they need him to be he needs to be fully right. Luke, it's, it's easy to say this now, but if Maurizio Pochettino had his time again, do you think he would have named somebody different as club captain? I mean, as I say, it's easy to say it now, but it, but if you, you look at the options he had at the time, we hear Thiago Silva's English isn't great. Conor Gallagher's future was and is still up in the air, so maybe there weren't actually that many other options for him to go for. Do you think he'll change it now in, in terms of making somebody else the permanent captain, just to ease the the burden of pressure on, on Reese if and when he comes back? 
I don't necessarily see Pochettino changing, you know, making a, a sweeping change, something official like that. I think we've seen in other clubs, big clubs, Arsenal and Man City come to mind that kind of have a committee of leaders that all wear the armband and are all, you know, broadly similar age and experience. And I think when you look at Pochettino's options at the beginning of the season, Rhys James was the obvious candidate. And I think it would have been almost weird if he uh, hadn't given it to James. So I think I think keeping James as the club captain is fine because I think he is and you know, he is because the fans want him to be, but he is because he wants to be, you know, a symbol of Chelsea. You know, we had the tweet about Arsenal in the summer that, you know, Chelsea fans loved. And I think he kind of embodies someone that should be a club captain. But at the same time, Chelsea, I think, are in a pretty good position, you know, right now where they have other kind of young, homegrown talents, Conor Gallagher, Levi Colwell, that have worn the armband. And I know... You know, Simon was talking about, I think it was on Monday's podcast, you know, that Levi Colwell has always been seen as a natural leader um, right the way up through the youth academy and he, he the way he carries himself. And I think, did Liam, was it, did you speak to Levi? In pre-season, yes. There was like, like a group interview in the US. Yeah. And you, I think you said that he, you know, he kind of carries himself well beyond his years, right? Yeah, definitely. He's an old head on young shoulders and it didn't shock me that he was given the armband I know there were reports of surprise within the Chelsea dressing room, maybe that Thiago Silva wasn't given it, but it's pretty consistent with what Pochettino's done, hasn't it? And he's trying to encourage these younger leaders. And yeah, Colwell's definitely one of the the guys they're thinking about in that bracket. Yeah, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he wore the armband, you know, a little bit more regularly with Rhys James out of the side. And obviously Ben Chilwell, uh, lest we forget, is the official vice captain, and he is, you know, arguably slightly more experienced than James, a bit older, played more games for club and country, I think. So, you know, he's a very natural fit to wear the armband. So, I think Chelsea and Pochettino are in a good place that they have options. They're just not maybe the sort of traditional grizzled veteran who's been there, done it all, played, you know, two hundred and fifty games for the club. You know, other places that. You know, wear the armband, but I, I think it's, I think it's fine, and I, I, I wouldn't think about, you know, stripping um, is the sort of tabloid word, James of the captaincy anytime soon. Well, he's still heavily involved. We hear that uh, it was Rhys James who was at the forefront of planning this night out. The players went on post Everton, Liam. It was supposed to be a Christmas party. In light of the result, it was toned down to be termed as a, a bonding session. I guess not everybody will like it given the circumstances, but broadly it's a good idea, isn't it? To kind of have a nice dinner and a chat with some of your colleagues outside of what's been a pretty stressful work environment. It's the kind of thing that never plays well if it ends up in tabloid newspapers and, and the team isn't doing well. I know it provokes like a visceral reaction from fans. How dare they be having fun? You know, players have even got in trouble for smiling, <laughs> being caught smiling as they're walking off the pitch if they've lost. So... Yeah, I don't think it's an issue. I think it's a whole load of nothing, really. If there is a team in the Premier League that is in need of building some collective spirit and and bonding, it is probably Chelsea, given the nature of how this squad's been assembled over the past six months or so. So, yeah, I don't see a problem with it at all. Everyone gets an invite to a Christmas party, regardless of whether or not they're doing their job well at that particular point in time. 
It would have been a bigger story, wouldn't it, Luke? I think if it had been cancelled, say if Pochettino had said, no, I'm sorry, you've been rubbish for the last couple of weeks, you can't have a party, then that puts him on the back foot, doesn't it? Because you can kind of only do that sort of thing once. It's better to start off with the carrot and then only reach for the stick if you really need to. Yeah, I think it was all a bit kind of, you know, early 2000s, again, sort of tabloid journalism where, you know, grizzled English manager cancels relegation threatened clubs Christmas party because they're doing badly. And I think Liam kind of summed it up very well there. I think, you know, any chance the Chelsea squad gets to build a bit of camaraderie, I think they should absolutely take. All right, here's a story that we're not going to spend very long because it's not that interesting, I don't think. Maybe you do, listener, but it's certainly pertinent to Chelsea. Premier League clubs voted to limit the period over which a player's transfer fee can be spread in their accounts to five years, regardless of the length of their contract. This is not backdated, so there's no issues for Chelsea uh, in terms of the contracts they handed out last season, Chelsea were one of 15 clubs voting in favour of this ruling. That was a little bit surprising, I suppose, Liam, wasn't it? Or, or are Chelsea just thinking, well, well, we've done it now. The best thing to do is to stop other people employing the, the tactic that we used last year. Yeah, I, I wasn't shocked that they voted for it just because Chelsea have been working on the assumption that the Premier League would following the footsteps of UEFA, who'd already legislated against this amortisation loophole, as it's been described. And I think it also made strategic sense for Chelsea to vote in favour as well, because if they'd rejected this and helped shoot it down, then there's every possibility that an amended version of this rule could have been brought to the table at the next Premier League meeting, which could have been backdated, which could have been targeting the deals that Chelsea have already done. And that's the only thing really that could screw Chelsea up is if suddenly their calculations were thrown out of whack by a new rule that applied retrospectively. So I think it made strategic sense for Chelsea to help get this rule through because there's no way that the Premier League are going to revisit this now, I don't think. And now they know exactly where they stand going forward. The suggestion so far has been that Chelsea will continue to favour giving out longer than average contracts to the players that they sign, particularly if they're players as they have been under the age of 23, because they they don't just see the amortisation benefit. They view it as added security for the club and added security for the player. It's a bit too early to tell whether the contracts they've already signed will work out that way for them. The early returns have probably been more negative than positive. But yeah, I think I think they were always looking at it as more than just a way of gaming the the financial rules. And uh, yeah, we'll see they see if they continue with it. Now, there is a big explainer up on this on The Athletic, which Matt Slater has written, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, Luke, I'm going to hit you with the, the really serious and pertinent question on this. I have a concern in that Cole Palmer's chant, which is pretty recent, starts with sign him up for eight more years. Is that still going to be logistically possible now that that is not a thing? Do you mind that? Is it less accurate as a result? I think it's fine as is, Matt. Um, to be honest, we you know we kind of saw as Liam touched upon with the contracts thing, the UEFA ruling came down in you know June I think in July, and Chelsea signed Moises Caicedo to an eight year deal 
in you know late August as it was. So I think they certainly won't be deterred by this ruling with those long contracts. So you know, I think long live the chant. <laughs> Can they change the chant to amortize him for another five years? Does that scan? <laughs> Amortization leaves us in tears. Yeah, something like that. I'll work on it. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe revisit that on Monday. Uh, next, though, we're going to get back to matters on the pitch and talk about the weekend's game. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, pre-international break, this would have been a doddle, Sheffield United at home. Since then, Chelsea have hit the skids and the Blades have changed their manager, Chris Wilder, taking charge of his third game of his second spell when his team visit West London on Saturday. Uh, we asked you to help us pick an 11 for this listener. Thanks to everybody who has got in touch. Matt, not me, sent a picture of the AC Milan team from the Newcastle game and said, how about these four after circling to Maury, Loftus-Cheek, Pulisic and Giroud? I'll give you three of those, Matt, but we can't retrofit Christian Pulisic's career into being a, a wild success at Chelsea. I don't think he'd even get into this current Chelsea team. Uh, Hugo wants to see Ian Matson at left back. Uh, you probably will, Hugo, but not for Chelsea anytime soon. Uh, Steph, John and Prasanna are all going for Petrovic in goal. Luke, we don't know yet whether Robert Sanchez is going to be fit or not. We suspect probably not. Are you starting with Petrovic in this game, therefore? I think if Sanchez is fit, uh, he starts. It's kind of as simple as that. And if he's not fit, he can't play. Um, but goalkeeper fitness is normally one that's fairly cut and dry rather than being, you know, oh, he can, you know, maybe give us 20 minutes here and there. Obviously, because of the nature of the position, you have to either be ready to play 90 minutes or not at all. And I think ideally you'd want Petrovic to maybe come in for a, a less high pressure game. You know, you're looking at the Preston home game in the FA Cup in early January. But if Sanchez is, isn't fit, then, you know, all our confidence to, to Georgie. Defence-wise, Liam, um, most people seem to have gone for Dizazi at right-back and then Badia Sheila and Silva with Colwell at left-back. Are you going to make a case for, for Mark Kukurea on in either full-back position or are you going with the majority? If we're assuming that Malo Gusto is not available for this game. No, I'm going with the four centre-backs, the four giants, particularly if Chris Wilder's first spell at Sheffield United is anything to go by, he may well set up with with a back five with three big burly centre-backs. And I think if if Chelsea go with a smaller back line, i.e. with a back line that features Mark Cucurea anywhere in it, they run a big risk of being targeted and exploited at set pieces, um, which is almost certainly going to be a big part of Sheffield United's game plan. Just on this subject, I I think it's grossly unfair for the Premier League teams that did not get the chance to face Sheffield United when they were still being managed by Paul Heckingbottom, <laughs> that they have not been just awarded three points and a healthy boost to their goal difference. It's actually a, a bit of a travesty of justice, I think, because Sheffield United under Heckingbottom were maybe the worst team I've ever seen in the Premier League, particularly defensively. And they're now going to be competent under Wilder. Yeah, and yet still, some of us saw... Their other concern, 
limp past Heckingbottom Sheffield United thanks to a last-minute winner. Anyway, uh, let's move into midfield, Luke. Everybody who tweeted us has got Enzo Fernandez in their team. I think you probably have too. I wonder if this might be a good game to give Enzo a rest, given that that Newcastle match next week is so big for Chelsea and now so big for Newcastle too, right? Given that they're out of Europe. Yeah, it was kind of, I, I watched that Champions League game and I was like, you know, thinking about, you know, what this would mean for the rest of their season. Obviously, you know, they'll be in a strong position to challenge for Europe again. But I was like, oh yeah, they are probably going to care quite a lot more about the Carabao Cup, you know, not being in Europe at all, uh, which is bad news for Chelsea. But I think Enzo Fernandez is is so good when he's good. And I think he was very good against Everton that I think you just have to play him. And Chelsea don't have another central midfielder that plays anything close to how he does. You know, there's there's kind of, there's similarities between Caicedo and Ugochukwu when he's fit. So there's a bit more of a natural kind of one in, one out there. But the ball carrying ability, you know, the ability to, you know, speed up and slow down tempo, long passing, first time short passing. I don't think any of the Chelsea midfielders can do what Enzo does. So I think he he has to play, unfortunately, for his legs. <laughs> Uh, where are you at on Caicedo at the moment, Liam? Seen him come in for a bit of stick. Is that because he's not been the, the Brighton Moises Caicedo or is it because he's not a particularly eye-catching player because he's not in there to, to score goals and assist, is he? Bit of both, I think. Um, I think he's been he's been pretty good. I think he's, he's largely stabilised after a dodgy start to his Chelsea career when he clearly wasn't fit, having missed a lot of pre-season. And I actually think with him and Enzo, their only difficult performances since, I think, have been very easily explained by the fact that they've got back from South America less than 48 hours before. Um, and they've both either... Well, um, Caicedo was rested, wasn't he, for at least one of those games. And they've they've looked kind of out on their feet at times. So... I think he's I think he's good and I think that partnership has been good. I think they've they've got an easy understanding. And I think in particular that unit with those two and Gallagher is maybe the most functional part of Chelsea's team. So I would I would want to keep that together in a game that is now absolutely a must win. Talk to me about your front three in behind the striker then Luca. I, I guess the big one here is whether Mudrick retains his place or Raheem Sterling comes in who have you gone for for me I have gone for Sterling Gallagher and Palmer but interestingly and this may may not be proved to how Pochettino sees it um, or indeed how how you guys have seen it but I've gone for because of having those four centre-backs which I think is probably how Pochettino will line up Dizassi at right back Cole will at left back I've gone for Sterling on the right and Palmer on the left you know that that means they won't necessarily invert onto their stronger foot but I just think their kind of the ball carrying ability and their ability to attack these sort of fullbacks and centre-backs in the way that you know those fullbacks can't they're not going to be overlapping fullbacks Dizassi and Colwell they're not you know as technically gifted as Reese James and Ben Chilwell and I think that will help Chelsea to have those players playing in those positions and I think we've seen Raheem Sterling's best football from the right-hand side this season so you know I'm very happy to see him there and, and Cole Palmer I think will naturally drift in field, even if it is more onto his his slightly weaker right foot, because that's just the kind of player that he is. Liam, I'm I'm going to assume you've gone for that same front three, but even if not, I bet you haven't gotten only Madweke 
in your starting 11. Now, he's got to be a candidate for a move either on loan or permanently in January, hasn't he? Well, I just don't know where he is physically after not playing for, for so long. And when he has played, he's really struggled to impact games. I still think there are there are things in his game to like in terms of how direct he can be, how much he looks to take on uh, his defender. But yeah, he hasn't looked as, as polished and ready to contribute at first team level as Palmer, as Sterling have. And arguably as as Mudrick has in in kind of isolated flashes, so yeah, alone in January probably does make sense for Madueke, provided at that point that Chelsea actually have the attacking bodies uh, where they won't need to keep him around for depth. But yeah, I've got I've gone for the. There's astonishingly little disagreement in these <laughs> in these teams. I've I've gone for the same personnel, but I'm a bit puzzled because that. Luke, you weren't you weren't even watching football in the nineties, were you? What's all this putting left footers on the left and right footers <laughs> on the right? All these orthodox wingers. No, I, I just about remember, you know, Joe Cole bombing down the right wing for Chelsea. So, you know, I think it works. Yeah, go back to basics. Maybe uh, the best idea, right? Because we kept mentioning him and wondering if he would feature, and he hasn't yet. I am not going to name the French forwards who likes to celebrate by blowing up a balloon and will just take any appearance from him as a bonus. Uh, so, Luke, are you going to go for Armando Breuer again or are you bringing uh, Nicholas Jackson back in up front? I think I'd go for our Armando Breuer, to be honest. I know he came under a little bit of fire for how he played at the weekend, but I think, you know, as with any position in a football team, you need you know, consistent minutes, you need consistent starts to kind of be able to have an impact. And I think Broy is just still, you know, he's still recovering from this injury and, and previous injuries. So, you know, I, I would go with him. Same for you, Liam? Or are you going for the, the more reliable goal output of Jackson, if that's a coherent and correct sentence? I think this is the, the most difficult decision in the team, actually, because Breuer offers a lot more in terms of being a nuisance for bigger burly centre-backs. I've said the word burly too much on this podcast. <laughs> um, I think he just works, he works really hard and he makes, he makes defenders uncomfortable. He drags them into areas that they don't like. The only thing with Breuer is that he just hasn't really carried any goal threat in recent games. And I, I completely take on board what, what Luke said. I think, that will probably improve the more minutes he gets. But if you're just talking about this game in isolation, clearly neither of them are perfect options. That's why there's this massive conversation about whether Chelsea are going to try and buy a striker in January. And Jackson, it feels like more broadly his his game has regressed in recent weeks in terms of what he does away from the goal and, and his finishing continues to be incredibly erratic. But he does get himself into a lot of scoring positions, despite the fact that I don't think he always knows which run to make when the ball goes into the final third. And I just think that that is probably enough to give him the edge for this game. But I, I think whoever starts the game actually would probably be on a fairly short leash. And if it looks like they're having a bad game, I wouldn't hesitate to bring the other one on after maybe you know an hour or so. It's going to be an interesting matchup, I think. As Liam said, Sheffield United, even though they did play four at the back when they beat Brentford at the weekend, I'm I'm almost certain they'll revert to a, a three-back 
when they face Chelsea. And I'm not sure Pochettino would do it because it would be a bit of a confidence blow to both Breuer and Jackson. But I certainly wouldn't hate starting, you know, Raheem Sterling or Cole Palmer as a sort of quote unquote number nine. And that would allow you to bring Mikhailo Mudrik into the team. And I think Chelsea are probably going to have a lot of the ball against Sheffield United and they're going to have a lot of the ball, you know, in Sheffield United's third. So having that kind of extra technical player, um, you know, say it was Cole Palmer to kind of play one, two passes off, you know, in and around uh, the penalty area might not be a bad thing. But as I said, I think it's unlikely because it would be somewhat damaging to the confidence of, of Breuer and Jackson for Pochettino to essentially say, I don't believe in either of you. All right, well, we shall wait and see uh, what Pochettino comes up with for Saturday. As for Sheffield United, as Luke mentioned, they beat Brentford last week. They're still bottom of the league, though. Five points from safety. Only taken one point on the road thus far. That was at Brighton in November, and they've uh, been beaten 5-0 at both Burnley and Arsenal. Whatever happens in the match, we'll react to it on Monday's show. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-21s qualified for the knockout stages of the Premier League Cup on Tuesday night. They beat Luton 2-1 at Kenilworth Road. Zane Silcott-Jubri put Chelsea ahead not long after the restart. And Tyreek George then scored a wonderful goal. Liam, you saw this. It was a, a fantastic finish past none other than Tim Krul. Was it? I didn't realise that. Um, yeah, it was a really satisfying hit as well because it was one of those where the player gets the ball about 30 yards out and really brazenly shifts it out of their feet. You know, it was completely obvious what he was going to do for about a second and a half before he did it. And he really wound up the shot. And I think it's always particularly satisfying when after that build up, they then catch it as sweetly as they intend to. And it just absolutely flew like an arrow into the top corner. And it's even nicer seeing goals like that in 2023, I think, because we're in an age of efficiency in football and, all these horrible people talking about XG, Matt. Um, it's completely dissuaded so many players from taking long shots and so many coaches from allowing their players to take long shots. So it's still really nice to see a young player take a chance like that and have the technique to pull it off. Yeah, he's one to keep an eye on as well, by the way. He's only 17, Tyreek George. He scored loads of goals in this competition for the under-21s this season. Uh, Mark Robinson's team back in league action this weekend. They go to Liverpool in PL2 on Sunday. The under-18s welcome West Brom to Cobham for a league fixture on Saturday lunchtime. You can watch that one live on the Chelsea app with me if you like. Uh, as for the women's team in Champions League action tonight as we record against Hacken, they then go to Bristol City in the WSL on Sunday. Chelsea and Emma Hayes have condemned the racist abuse Lauren James suffered online after the Arsenal game last week. Colin Miller has got a report on this up on The Athletic. Uh, Emma said, I think we have to realise for a young person in a day and age when social media is unbelievably vitriolic, some of the nasty language and labelling and name-calling goes over the edge. And if you add in racism to that for her, you can understand why her mental health is not in a very good place this week. All right. We're nearly at the end of today's show, but we still have time for a quiz. This is a bit of barrel scraping and reaching from me because there's not much recent history between Chelsea and Sheffield United to go on. Uh, I'm on guard as well because I was heavily criticised, quite rightly so, by Luke for one of the questions last week too. It's a rematch, isn't it, from last week's contest. Once again, 
Lucy's not put a tiebreaker in, so she either believes heavily in one of you and not in the other, or just has forgotten. Um, I've written the rest of the questions, though, so full responsibility to me. Luke, you're up first. Which former Chelsea player spent the 2020-21 season on loan at Sheffield United? Ooh. 2020-21. Classic tactics ah. from both of these here. Luke repeating the question <laughs> to buy himself a bit more time. Liam looking out the window to see if the answer's there. Yeah. Um, well, that would have been when they were in the Premier League, right? Yep. Okay, so Ethan Ampadu? Ethan Ampadu is absolutely correct. You are off and running. Would you have got that, Liam? Uh, probably with the pressure of the moment, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's see how you do here. Just, just have some fun with it. At what stage of the FA Cup did Chelsea and Sheffield United meet at Stamford Bridge in that 2020-21 season? What round? I never... You know what? When I'm writing pieces about the FA Cup, I always have to look up what round it is. Yeah, same. The only round I ever remember is the third round because it always happens on my birthday, pretty much. <laughs> um, just a freebie for the for the listeners there. I've got the same birthday as Eden Hazard. And yes, I am stalling. Um, fifth round. Luke, do you want to steal it? Uh, I'm going to go with quarterfinal then. Oh, you're right. That's really harsh on Liam. <laughs> it was I mean, cool. you say it was harsh on Liam. It was essentially a multiple choice question. <laughs> so the thing is, how many people like the quarterfinal could be the fifth round? I don't know. I don't know how many rounds are in the FA Cup. Uh, the quarterfinal is the sixth round. I it is. Yeah. Uh, Luke, a little bit of uh, back chat from you there. So have this question as punishment. <laughs> Which defender made his penultimate appearance at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea in the 2-0 win against Sheffield United in March 2007? <laughs> penultimate appearance yep. for Chelsea. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. That is the bottom of the That is the bottom of the I've got one of his old training tops from a club that he used to play for in my wardrobe of football shirts, but I won't tell you which club it is. It's not Chelsea. I won't tell you why I bought it either. That's okay. like an example of a clue being even more confusing than the question. <laughs> Which defender uh, made his penultimate appearance at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea in the 2-0 win against Sheffield United in March 2007? 2007? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I've, I've got absolutely... I was trying to think of a player who was there at that time, but then left shortly after. Um, uh, probably not, but Wayne Bridge? Probably not. Liam, this would be an incredible steal. Just on the on the time frame, would it have been William Gallas? It's a good guess, but it's not right. I'm afraid the answer we were looking for was, of course, you got this listener, didn't you? Khaled Boularus. <laughs> so you've got a number nine shirt. <laughs> I know no, they wouldn't I've have got, it on the training top. It's a training them. top from his time at Stuttgart. You know, in lockdown, when everyone went a bit mad, I went on classic football shirts and bought one of Khaled Bularus's old Stuttgart training tops with a signed letter from him. Uh, best £40 I've ever spent. That was. Let's move on quickly. Liam, here's your second question as Ruby the Dog comes in to help you out. Who scored a brace for Chelsea in the 2 2 draw with Sheffield United at Stamford Bridge in August 2019? Frank Lampard's Chelsea versus Chris Wilder's Blades. 
2019. Yep. I'm going to say Tammy Abraham. Absolutely right. Well done. It is 2-2. Luke, here's your final question of regulation time. You really don't want to take this to the tiebreaker, given what Lucy's just put in our shared doc. <laughs> Luke, only one of the 23 players named in the matchday squad for Chelsea's 3-0 defeat at Bramall Lane in July 2020 is still a permanent Chelsea player. One other is out on loan. Who is the one who is still a permanent and current Chelsea player? I mean, that as a stat alone is absolutely mad. <laughs> 2020. Yeah, it was one of those weird lockdown games played behind closed doors in July, all very odd. All right. So it would have been that same season from the previous question, I guess. That, Lamp- mm, that Lampard season. I think it was the season before. 19. 19- oh, yes. No, you sorry. You're 1920. right. 1920. Yeah. You're right. You're uh, right. I'm going to, I mean, by process of elimination, I'm going to say Reese James. And process of elimination has been your friend there. So it is three, two. So Liam, oh, that's that's more like it, Lucy. The original tiebreaker was going to be try and sing the greasy chip butty song that Sheffield United sing, but she's put an actual question in in place. That might have been the first concession you'd have on a tiebreaker. We might need the tiebreaker question. If you get this right, Liam, again, this is one that was kind of written with Simon in mind, but you might know it. Which former Chelsea striker's older brother scored for Sheffield United in the 3-2 defeat for the Blades at the bridge in May 1994, a result which relegated the visitors. So I want to know the Chelsea player whose brother scored in that game. You know, I think I actually know this. So you want the Chelsea striker? Yeah. Uh, Tori Andre Flay. Oh, he's got it. What was his brother called? Just, just for Jostein. Jostein Flay. Would you have got that, Luke? Absolutely not. <laughs> he also had Havard Flay, who played for Wolves as a striker. Did, yeah. What All a right. family. What a flex from Liam. <laughs> it flex. was, wasn't it? Yeah, just don't, don't, te- don't step to me with flow questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was made a cup of tea for Tori Andre Flay, and he had two sugars in it, which really surprised me because I thought that he was sweet enough. Already. Uh, here's the tiebreaker then. How many goals have Chris Wilder's Sheffield United conceded in the 68 matches he's been in charge of them in the Premier League? So we will go with a message privately to me, please, with your guess. Well, I think about the guess. Have I not won? Right? I don't know how many down. points There's I've three, got. 3-3 three, because you've got that right. Did I get you a got, point per flow? You oh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luke, you got Ethan Ampadu right. You got Khaled Boulerous wrong. You got Reese James right, and you pinch one of Liam. So that gives you three. Uh, Liam got. Did you pinch? No, you didn't. Did you? This is no, all totally. I think totally, I might have lost. Yeah, yeah, you have lost. But I feel like yeah. I've won. Mm, okay. Um, Luke, you have to do every quiz now between now and the rest of time because I always make an administrative error and you're always the one who points it out. So, yeah, well done, Luke. You won. I've lost. Um, We might need to bring in an independent regulator for this quiz because, you know, I say that I can manage it and yet this kind of thing keeps happening repeatedly. Luke's just going to start chanting, are you Taylor in disguise? (laughs) My dad will be thrilled because I always insist to him, especially around Christmas, that I'm not as competitive as he is. But me consistently (laughs) pointing out these errors so that I can win does nothing to aid my argument. 
how can I not write ticks and crosses correctly? That's something that I'm going to be asking myself for the rest of this afternoon. The answer to the tiebreaker, by the way. Oh, should we do it? I'm happy to do it as for fun. Okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. Yeah, yeah. More questions, more fun. Let me know what your guess is. I love fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the question again was, how many goals have Chris Wilder, Sheffield United conceded in the 68 matches he's been in charge of them in the Premier League? Send me a message with your guess. Okay, I've got Luke's. Have you had to research this or something this no, week? No. <laughs> right, okay. Come Are you sure then. Luke's message wasn't just abuse for you screwing <laughs> up the quiz? Again? It just says you are a rubbish quiz host, Matt. Um, come on, Liam. It's just for fun. Right. Liam's guest 70. Luke's guest, 85. The answer to the question, how many goals have Chris Wilder, Sheffield United, conceded in the 68 matches he's been in charge of? Was 86. So you're one off, Luke. <laughs> that is an absolutely remarkable guess. Um, yeah. You're right, Luke. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> well, this is rapidly becoming your favourite part of the podcast, I'm sure. An incredible I'm beaten run. I'm sorry, listener, that I didn't manage to add up the correct answers right. That's really poor from me. But look, we're going to keep plugging away with this quiz, uh, despite the overwhelming evidence that we should probably ditch it. Uh, before we go, Liam, tell us what you've got up on the Athletic, please. I know that you made the case, didn't you, this week, that maybe Chelsea shouldn't be going back into the transfer market for a striker in January. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> the gist of that piece was obviously following on from Pochettino's comments after the Everton game, the idea that Chelsea would be negotiating for any attacker that they look for in January from a position of profound weakness because of where they are in the table. And just the the lack of appeal, I think, that they can project for this project right now. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not going to work in time, but if you're, say, for example trying to convince a striker like Victor Osimen, who has 18 months left on his Napoli contract, but may well have lots of good options in the summer when he will be in the final year of his deal. You're trying to convince him that, that Chelsea are the, the best landing spot in world football for one of Europe's most highly regarded number nines. It just seems like quite a tall order to, to make that pitch, even more so than it was... 12 months ago when they were pitching Enzo Fernandez and, and some of the other players that they signed. And there's the other fact that, you know, you'd be negotiating with the other club from a position of weakness. And when you're talking about Napoli and Aurelio De Laurentiis in particular, that could mean quite a steep price. And, it, you know, the question of whether Chelsea can actually afford to do a, a massive deal in January is completely unknowable after all the spending. I would expect some money from sales to offset anything they, they do end up doing regardless. But yeah, so the point was, I think it's it's a bit better to maybe wait, especially because they have no idea and they can't possibly know yet what they have in Christopher and Kunku. And the fact that they've got so many young players in this squad means that they may need a bit of time and they may actually come good with a bit of time and patience. Uh, so that's up on The Athletic now. I promise I haven't just dictated the entire article for you. Go away and read it. And Simon and I have also been working on a couple of things. There, there will be the results of our Chelsea fan survey going up towards the end of this week 
for people to have a look at. Some pretty interesting responses there about the uh, the small and big issues affecting Chelsea right now. And we've also worked together on an article, which I believe will be going up on The Athletic on Friday, which is a selection of suggestions of how to fix Chelsea without sacking the coach. So novel solutions rarely tried at Stamford Bridge over the last 25 years. Uh, see what you think of those. Good stuff. Lots of good Chelsea content up to look at then. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, if you'd like to leave us a five-star review and some nice words on iTunes or Spotify, that'll help other Chelsea supporters find this pod too. We are at SO Cobham pod on Twitter slash X. If you want to give us a follow there as well, we'll be back on Monday. to look back on that Sheffield United game then, as well as the two games the women's team are playing and plenty more besides. Join us for that if you can. For now, though, from Lucy, Luke, Liam and me, it's goodbye. The Athletic.